this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Hello, this is Linus Wilson. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. On this podcast, we have Greg Cutson of Mantis Anchors. He talks about anchoring techniques and the importance of not just the anchor and how you anchor, but all the gear associated with your anchor. Um, in particular, he talks about swivels and he talks about what kind of chain you use and also the snubber line and how you attach the snubber line. All those things are important to anchoring well. He also talks about matching your gear with your, your whole anchoring system. So the idea is that you want to have your swivel and your snubber line and your chain all similar in terms of the loads they can take under stress so you minimize your chance of failure. So if you go uh, in, if you're using an iPhone, uh, you can go into your podcast app and if you're looking at this podcast it'll have the three dots if you click on the three dots you go to full, full view full episode description there you'll find a link to mantis anchors you'll also find a link to the pdf file of the presentation and while i don't think you need to to use the PDF to understand the episode uh, because Greg is a really great presenter. It would be helpful to, if you want to look at the numbers in terms of the loads for each different anchor and chain and, and uh, road and swivel, that type of thing. He has a lot of great numbers in there that I think are relevant when you're kind of sizing your gear to match your boat and your anchor. This seminar is from the Southwestern International Boat Show in Houston, and it was recorded with uh, Greg Cutson's permission. I want to encourage you to tell your friends about the podcast, write a review uh, on iTunes, go ahead and encourage your friends to like our kind of daily blog on the Slow Boat to Bahamas on Facebook. So you go to Facebook, search Slow Boat to the Bahamas. You know, another way that you can really help out the podcast is to contribute to the Patreon campaign. We have a $20 campaign to pay for the hosting and pay for the long-distance phone calls and internet in strange ports. So, you know, one of the things that this podcast is going to be doing is we're going to be releasing the episodes in different countries and we're going to be uh, talking about uh, where the slow boat is going and and that that's always expensive and always takes a, a lot of effort in addition to a lot of money to get internet uh, in different countries the patreon goal of twenty dollars i think is really modest if we hit that patreon goal i'll make my book uh, which is on Amazon right now, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, free for a, a single day. There is other great incentives for people that actually contribute to the campaign. So in addition to giving 
one of my books away for free to everyone. If you're a contributor, you get bonus content, uh, such as bonus interview from the Delos interview in episode 10. Uh, you also get a free audiobook version of my number one Amazon best-selling sailing book, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time. So I, I think there's great incentives uh, and you can not just be a good, good citizen, but you also get rewarded for, for being a Patreon subscriber to the podcast. We're grateful for everyone that listens to the podcast and uh, follows the, the blog or, the, or is a member of my Facebook groups. Uh, thanks for being part of the journey. And I hope to have you on board uh, for many more. Without further ado, here is Greg Cutson, founder of Mantis Anchors. Okay, guys. <clears throat> so my name is Greg Cutson. And I uh, am the owner of the company called Mantis Anchors. And how many people went to the medical seminar yesterday? Okay, cool. So that, at that seminar, I actually knew what the heck I was talking about. And this one was a hobby that evolved, evolved into a business. Um, and um, the difference between the seminars is the, I just want a complete disclosure. The medical seminar is completely unbiased. Here, I'm going to pretend to be unbiased, but you have to realize that I'm a pretty good salesman. So, just take that with a grain of salt as we go forward. So, what we're going to talk about, you know, the whole subject of this conversation is not just picking your anchor, but thinking about your anchor system and how to design it so we don't de develop problems. And the first thing we need to do in thinking about that is define your need because um, somebody who's going around the world is not the same person, and say in southern latitudes, is not the same person who's going to the Caribbean. And somebody who's going to Caribbean is not the same person that goes for a weekend to Moody Gardens. And there's nothing wrong with either one. That's what the person prefers to do. So it's crazy to size the road the same way on those three boats. Uh, we're going to talk about road and our preference of roads, attachments, uh, anchors, and then some stuff that uh, so in, in anchors, bridles, snappers, everything related to road we're going to cover today. That's aim today, right? And then. Intermingled in there is a subtle sales pitch. Be aware of it. <laughs> and guys, just so you know, the big ships have trouble with it just as much as you do. The only advantage they have is that they have full crew on deck all the time with the engines running, and if it's really windy, they can power up into the storm, and that's what they do. If, they, you know, if there's any real blow over 50 knots, uh, a big tanker is definitely going to die. Okay, so kind of what we talked about, leisure, cruising, and uh, storm preparation. People have different needs, so we need, we're going to be attuned to that, talk about it. So when we try to size our gear, we need some baseline. So how do we know what loads to expect on our road, okay? Because everything has to be sized to that, right? So we need some baseline. And the best baseline we have, the most conservative baseline we have, is American Boat and Yacht Council data. That was actually data derived by Bob Oak, the designer of Danforth Anchors in 1940s. So really, really old stuff. Nobody knows how it was done, but everybody who tested since gets numbers a lot lower than that, like by a factor of three lower than that. And when you interview Tom Hale, um, who used to be the, um, the technical director for ABYC, he says that the data that they included in there includes all the safety, you know, safety factor for dynamic loading, because static wind loads are very different than wind gusts and, and swells. 
and they included the worst coefficients for drag. So if you have a big superstructure and a bunch of lines, so this is kind of the worst of the worst, you think of it this way, right? Let's think about, we're talking about the 35 foot boat, as we kind of gear our minds about this. I mean, your boat might be a lot bigger, I don't want to you, but we're gonna start to think about some numbers so it gives us some kind of an idea. Now, so they're saying 60 knots, 60 knots sustained winds, what is 60, that, that's like a hurricane, right? Mm -hmm. 65 knots is hurricane? So sustained wind 60 knots, um, that's pretty serious stuff that most cruisers probably, probably has never seen an anchor. Definitely people with the hurricanes and stuff, but most cruisers haven't seen an anchor. So that's what we, and remember, this number is very, very conservative. That's assuming you're not using a bridle. That's assuming, so you're absorbing all the shock loads. So that's kind of the number that we design to if we, you know, if I'm gonna think of you as a guy who's gonna live in a boat and take anything that comes your way, I'm gonna say we need to be good. All our gear, cleats, swivels, chain, windlass, needs to be good enough for that number times two. Okay? So that's kind of the way ABOSC comes at it. Uh, how ABOSC comes at it. Okay? We're going to talk about the road, selecting your road. In doing so, first of all, we're going to decide how much road to get. And I'm going to, I'm going to go a little quicker so it gives us a little room for questions. So if, we, if, if you guys want me to get more in depth about the topic, just stop me and we can talk about it. But so scope is the ratio of the length of the road to the depth. What we're gonna say that we want the most common anchoring environment. It's not unreasonable to be anchoring 30 feet. Uh, on the Atlantic side, it's rare, but it's not unreasonable to be anchoring 30 to 40 feet. And we want you to have 10 to 1 scope. And most of the time, we want you to be anchored on chain. And we're gonna talk about it a little bit more, but the reason most of the time we want you to be anchored on chain, because chain is safer. As in, it doesn't rub through. And it's hard to cut. So, now, it's not feasible because sometimes you have to anchor in 60 feet and there's no way you're gonna have 600 feet of chain, right? So we're gonna make a compromise and this is gonna be off the wall, our recommendation and there's plenty of reasons to do it differently because you, you, you're a catamaran and you're light, you wanna keep your own light, you wanna have more line, but in general, 90% of the time we want you to be in chain, 30 feet, 10 to one scope, 300 feet of chain, very common to see that on cruising boats, right? 300 feet of chain, and then splice some extra line into it, so where if you end up in a really deep spot, you have some extra stuff, right? Good so far? Are you, are you taking into account just the, the depth uh, that you're gonna be anchoring in, or are you also taking into account the weight of the boat as well? Uh, for scope, no, scope is strictly, now, when you figure out the length, you always have to add freeboard, because if you're really shallow, say you're at eight feet, well, the five foot freeboard matters, right? So now you're 13 feet and you're calculating 10 to 1 is 130 versus, uh, versus 80. It's a big difference, right? So I do have to account the total height from the bow of the boat or from the, where the bridle is de deposed off because sometimes the bridle is deposed from the eye cleat down below um, to the bottom, to the, to, to the sea floor, right? So that total height. The weight of the boat is gonna be included in sizing of gear, but the scope is strictly related to um, you know, the effectiveness of, you know, because as you increase the scope, more road, you increase the effectiveness of anchor. And you decrease the scope, you decrease the effectiveness of anchor. And we're going to talk about question. So, uh, so Tim, are you, are you talking about worst case scenario, like, the, you know, strong wind? Why is that one? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I mean, we, you, I'll show you. So, 
what happens when we increase the scope? So at 20 to 1, you get 90% of the full holding power of anchor. At 10 to 1, you get 85%. You can see that once you go below 8 to 1, you have to add a lot of rope. It's not a linear relationship to get more holding power of anchor. Yeah. So after 8 to 1, it's really hard to get more out of it. So we say, we try to do for a storm, 10 to 1 is reasonable, and you want that to be able to have that on-chain at most anchoring situations. Um, you know, when you get, just realize, when you come into tight anchorages, and you have to deploy an anchor at 3 to 1 or 4 to 1, just realize you're nowhere near what your anchor can do. Okay, so this kind of, the slide kind of sinks it in. This is how we base our 300 feet of road and preferably chain road, and then some extra for deeper conditions. And this, this is almost like a silly argument because rope versus chain, most people are gonna have some combination of both, right? And the question is how much of each? And again, unless you're a performance sailor and you care about weight and weight in the bow, my personal preference that I wanna stick with is, I had a personal experience. The personal experience was, I was at, so on my coconut, 38 foot Ericsson that I sailed, I was in the uh, Pacific side of Panama. I was anchored. Um, I had 120 feet of chain. We're anchored in a tidal area. The tide went from 20 to 40 feet. So I put out a bunch of line, and uh, because I was expecting, you know, tide goes up to 40, so I had some 300 feet of line up, and it was windy. And I went to go drinking, um, and I came back, my book wasn't there. Um, and what had happened, uh, my boat was saved by a fellow cruiser, who saw what happened. A Panama Canal cruising boat, a big boat that housed 150 people went by, they didn't even feel it. They cut my line and off I went. Would, what would have happened had it been chained? I don't know, maybe the cabinet would have sunk the chain, maybe the, I don't know, but I think it would have been, uh, at least you would have felt it. So they're talking about the pros and cons of, of rope and chain again, and it's almost like a new argument because we are gonna have some chain on there. Uh, even if you are all line, even if you're a fishing guy and you lose all line, most people put some chain because you don't know what's on the bottom and you don't wanna rub your line through, right? Just, this is just a couple of slides, we're gonna fly through them. This is uh, types of uh, line, and you can see that, the, I just want you to think that, realize that the strength for a nylon and polyester line is pretty similar. So the strength between nylon and polyester line is pretty similar. So the difference is, by the way, what are your sails made of? Dacron, what is Dacron? Polyester. And what is fishing line? Most of the time it's nylon, right? So the reason fishing line is nylon is because you don't want, you want shock absorption. Nylon is a lot more elastic. So the strength between the two materials is very similar. But you want elasticity in the fishing line and you want elasticity in your, in your road, right? So that's why you see snubbers are usually made of nylon. Now for anchor road, we're gonna talk about that separately. Deckard, you don't want your sails to stretch too much. So it's made of polyester. Polyester has less stretch than nylon. And the really fancy sails, right, they don't stretch. So, um, so you kind of see that most of the materials used in the marine industry, common materials, you find them in the store. The only reason we're gonna use polypropylene is because it's really, really sensitive to UV degradation. So the cheap line you see at uh, Home Depot, it's plenty strong, it's just that, uh, in fact, it's stronger than nylon and polyester. So if you're buying line for use at home, there's nothing wrong with the polypropylene line, it's actually stronger, it's just it's really, really sensitive to UV. 
Um, okay, and then you see that the, differ the difference in, uh, in strain between different weaves is not. It's really cross-section of material, guys. So if you have a this much of nylon, maybe there's a tiny difference as to how tightly you pack it in that cross-section, but it doesn't really matter. Overall, the strength is gonna be about the same. Unless you have high-tech lines, like the lines you get at West Marine, where they core it with something, right? They can core it with M-Steel or Dyneema or some high-end synthetic line, and they put, it pot, and, you know, put the polyester sheave on it and stuff like that. Then, obviously, braids matter, right? Because you have different materials. But if you have the same material, the strength of the line is pretty much defined by the cross-sectional area. This is more about elasticity. So you can see that the difference in nylon and polyester is how, how stretchable it is. Um, and why is that important? Well, imagine if you're all line, if your road on your boat is all line, and you have all nylon line. So say you have 300 feet of nylon, and at 20% of working load, that, and that's where we want your road to be. You want your road to be at, we say you want your road to be at working load, so you have plenty of safety factor, right? You don't want to be anywhere close to the braking strength. So at 20% of the break, of, of ultimate braking strength of line, Nylon stretches 10%. Am I uh, being confusing or is that pretty, pretty clear? Okay, so that means you're gonna get 30 feet out of your 300 feet. You're gonna stretch 30 feet back. Well, 30 feet is a lot. I mean, in an anchorage, it easily could be somebody behind you, right? So we usually say that polyester, you have enough stretch in that length. So if you're gonna have all road is gonna line, we say polyester, use polyester because you don't need that much stretch. You'll be going crazy, you'll be moving like crazy. All right, so if all you line for your road is line, use polyester. Nylon is best for? Some change uh, on line? Some change on line, but really, if you're using it for a snubber. That's not, sorry, that was an unfair question. But yeah, so basically, if you're, using a, if, you're using, if you're designing a snubber, you want as much stretch as possible, because your snubber is gonna be 15, 30 feet, right? So you want the ma maximum stretch for that. So this is basically tells you that why Ideally, a cruising boat should have mostly chain. It's because it's hard to damage, because rope is unpredictable. You guys know Practical Sailor in 2013 did a, a uh, evaluation of rope, and they basically pulled the rope that was four years old, five years old, six years old. Like, at four years, you get half the strength. And this is not a braided rope. This is line that looks good, just because from UV degradation. So, that's why chain. Chain, 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 as much as possible. Does it matter on the the make the makeup of the chain? I mean, is it is it better to have a high tensile uh, stainless or or like a high yeah? Let's talk a little bit about chain. chain. So chain is usually available in great. Okay, now the chain is really really confusing because there's a bunch of standards. There's an ISO standard that's used here in America. There is a DIN 766 standard that's used in Europe. So if you have a European boot, you might have metric chain like that. There's L-grade chain available in Australia. And then manufacturers deviate from those standards. So the links, the dimension of the links is different. What's standardized everywhere across the world is grading. Grade 30 chain, grade 40 chain, grade <laughs> 70 chain, grade 80 chain, it goes up to 100. And that number is proportional to the strength. The most basic chain is grade 30 chain, okay? So, to answer your question, I think that grade 30 chain is just fine. Your regular, now, a lot of times your decision about chain is gonna be guided by your windlass. 
because you might not want to spend the 500 bucks for a new gypsy, right? But if you're optimizing, you're starting from scratch, you're designing your boat, you're really designing for those maximum loads we had on the table. And remember that 35 footer, we want it to be good for 3,600 times two. So 7,000 something, right? So basically, what, what does it end up with, 7,200? Well, guess what? Guess what the breaking strength of 516's grade 30 chain is? Let's look at my slide. I don't remember. But I think it is exactly that. So you can see that. Um, what was the number? So the number we had was 3,600 on the ABYC American Boat Yacht Council table on the expected maximum load in 60 knots on a 35 foot boat was 3,600. If we times that times two, you see that we get to the breaking state of grade 30 chain, which is 7,600. They're very close to it, right? Now, also understand, you should never see these kind of loads on your actual boat. Because this is assuming you don't have a snubber line. This is assuming dynamic loads. And dynamic loads are usually triple the static loads. So this is what will happen. This is what your boat will see when you don't have a snapper or a driver. And we'll talk a little bit, a lot more about the snapper because the importance of a snapper in the storm is like life-saving. And a good snapper, life-saving. Remember I told you I'm a salesman? I'm working it, I'm working it. But the problem is I also believe it. And I'll give you the arguments why. And the other problem is that in cruising community, there's many experts. And a lot of the experts are guys who've been at sea for a long time, but a single life at sea doesn't equal the experience of the horde at sea. So what I want to present you is experience of a horde at sea, all of us together, right? And I think that is a little bit more scientific. Um, it's really hard to get scientific in this field because this is not industry. This is a leisure sport, and uh, it's kind of like NFL saying that concussion doesn't lead to brain damage for the longest time. They're the experts, right? So. Um, Anyway, so it's really hard to get real science here, but we're going to uh, try really hard to, do, to get there. So then further answer your question, and I think that's where you're leading to. Does it make sense to invest in high test chain? And I don't know. The answer, the only reason you would is because maybe you're saving a little bit on the weight, right? Now, also realize that grade 30 chain has inflated working loads. So chain, so first of all, let's define the terms. A working load is the load at which they recommend that you use your chain, maximum load under which your chain should be subjected to. The federal spec says that your working load should be one-fourth of the breaking strength. For summary, and that's true of grade 30 chain, the working load is one-fourth of the breaking strength. Shackles should be one-fifth of the breaking strength. For some reason, G4 manufacturers of chain started using the working load that is one-third. They're saying that you can get away with loading your chain more. Why? Nobody knows. So when you look at your working load limits on G40 chain, it's always inflated. The best way to think about it, one, you can always go to our website, to our knowledge base, and we call out what we think the working load should be because it's not really that much stronger. It's stronger, it's 40% stronger. So if you basically that, it's proportional to that number. 40 divided by 30. That's how strong it is, much stronger it is. Okay? And that's true of all those numbers. So if you go to G70, 70 is what? About double G30, regular chain. Right? 
So the advantage of investment in high test chain is that you have some weight savings. So if you want to 300 feet, say you save half a foot, I'm pulling out of my butt, I don't know what the difference in weight is between three and five sixteenths, but say it's a half a foot, half a pound a foot, or a pound a foot, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, so maybe you save 200 pounds on your bow. How important that is, trade versus how, mon how much money you're gonna invest, um, uh, that's kind of what decision you have to make. But as long as your size is good, you're good. Question? Yeah. As a practical matter, how much, how long a piece of 5 sixteenths chain could one person pull up without limits? Well, yeah. So if you're thinking about it, usually what happens is two things are going on when you're pulling up road. And I, can, I can talk to that from accurately because uh, I've done that. I was too cheap to get on this. So, um, so, you know, when you're lifting chain, you're only lifting, if it, say you mentioned chain is on the floor, right? Um, and you're pulling the chain up. Then you're lifting the length that is, um, you know, you're lifting the chain that's suspended, right? Um, so 20 feet, five, six inch chain, say a pound a foot. So that 20 pounds. But at the same time, you're also pulling the boat closer. And at the same time, there might be waves. So it was hard to pull up your rope. Eventually you get to the anchor. Eventually you get to the anchor. So, um, you know, it was hard to begin with when it was lying. And now you throw in the next 30, 40 pounds, you know? So I don't I don't know how to quantitate it, but yeah, it's not necessarily easy. You know, the um, what do you think? Why what made you ask uh, ask that question? Well, some of us don't have windlasses, and we've got to go up on the bow and pull everything up and pinch the boat forward, maybe with the engine. Yeah, it's still a job. I've never actually done it with new people. I'm sure it's a job when they have 300 feet of chain. All right, all right. So again, remember that I was talking about optimal situation, right? So there are obviously scenarios like as you described. Um, I was thinking of a scenario of a, of a light catamaran there, so what light, light not be about. But there's a scenario of you just not want to handle that much chain. And, and also how much risk you want to take on. Just be aware that if you are anchoring in line, you got to be anal as hell watching that line. You know, uh, It doesn't take long at all in the storm to shave through line. I'll tell you what I did. I, um, I was in Galapagos and I anchored the boat and um, and my, they required to use a stern anchor over there. So I put line without a shackle directly over the, I had a, a den for it. And I put line directly through the eye of the anchor without using a shackle. It was 20 minutes, 20 yeah. minutes I lost the anchor. So just, um, I mean, it was rough. It was going up and down, you know? Uh, and then a friend of mine on a buddy boat, his line was, he had a fiberglass boat and he, you know, he anchored off the stern. So you ran the line from the cleat over the angle where the transom begins. And took a day, took a day. Uh, the paint wasn't around there, but the line was there. Just, th th those are reasons that I have a bias, right? But then, you were the cap, so make a small decision. Well, yeah. I'm actually in, in that position. I don't have a windlass, it's, it's an older boat. And uh, I, I, you know, sometimes I, it, it's rough, and I have to. I sail with, with my wife, and so she has to be pulling. Yeah. Sometimes I have to get the help, and so I mean, we would love to go all chain, but there's no way. We can right, right, right. And so I, I guess the question, the question I had is, are you, are you going to talk about? It, it seems that most of the, I guess, most of the reason people mention for rolling chain is abrasion, is strength and, and abrasion, but there is some, but there is there is also a, a holding effect. Right, with having some chain, 
that's gonna sort of pin the whole thing. We're down. gonna get there. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. What's your name? Philip. Philip. And where are you from? Born in Russia, lived in Israel. Now. No, 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 I heard that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Russian. I'm a Russian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I heard the accent, so it felt, it felt like home. I think um, you, you, you guys have done a win less on uh, a cat uh, on. Uh, um, here nine in the, uh, Watergate a, a year or two years ago. There was a friend of mine, and I was standing right by. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So let me just shortly address it. So, yes, the effect of chain chain is known to improve your effective scope. The catenary effect of chain is known to improve effective scope. And I wish I had a board over here, but and that's in essence, if um, if instead of straight line, if the road is not going in straight line, but it's going like this that what the anchor sees is the bottom part of that curve, right? As opposed to a straight line. And the idea is, is it's gonna help you set the anchor and help you um, maximize the, the holding power of the anchor. The problem is when it's really windy, and I'll show you what the road looks like when it's windy, your chain is gonna be tight as a drum. It's not gonna be the catenary. And that idea, I think, is flawed. That the catenary of a chain helps you. And then, I, I really, I think the question you had is that, you know, how much chain do you put on right. uh, to help set the anchor? And, and I don't know. And whether it's a length or whether it's the weight. Yeah. I only can argument that with our anchor, sales pitch, it doesn't matter. Drop by the booth, I'll show you why. The, now, it does help with the fact that you have crowd on the bottom. So I still recommend chain because what if there is a piece of steel or a rock? So it's nice to know that you have like at least 30 feet or something like that, right? Uh, 20 feet of something where you're protecting and shaping it. So if you have to make the connection between rope and chain, if you don't have a windlass, then I definitely recommend this. Because people with windlass, they worry about stuff going through the windlass, right? They have a rope and chain windlass. But if you don't have a windlass, this is better because there's no shape. Again, you put a shackle, thimble, boom. Rope is untouched, chain is untouched, you're cool, right? And it doesn't rust right there at the, uh, at the uh, at, at slice. It's a slice. By the way, guys, this is Philip. He's my little brother. Hey, uh, <laughs> this is Philip. He's Russian as well. And uh, if you drop by the shop, this guy's going to be taking care of you. Come on. Is <laughs> that the sales pitch? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> He's worth the deal. <laughs> you don't get him. Well, I don't know. Maybe you don't. Um, so then, how do we connect? How do we connect? You know, if we're gonna connect, you, you know, in line with this chain that we decide we're gonna use. How do we use a shackle? Because we want everything to be in line. So we're gonna size up for this 3,600 pound load. We're gonna make sure everything is double that load, and we want to make sure everything is in line, right? So in order to use a shackle, if you have regular grade 30 chain, a real simple rule. So there are two types of shackle available. There is, I'm talking as far as strength. There are different designs, shapes, but as far as strengths, there is type 4A and type 4B. And type 4A is the regular shackle. If you go West Marine, pick up a shackle, it's gonna be type 4A shackle. And that's fine. You basically, if you have a regular grade 30 chain, you take one size bigger. One size bigger than your grade 30 chain, and you're in line, okay? If you have high test chain, G4 chain, then you go type 4B shackle, one size bigger. Those shackles tend to be more expensive. Crosby makes them. There's a couple of manufacturers. If you want me to help you find them, call me. We have a quasi type 4B shackle in stock. Uh, I can talk about that on the side. So this kind of restating the same rule, that if you go, you basically want to go a size bigger than your chain. 
You change 5 sixteenths, your shackle is going to be 3 eighths. And it's going to be the same grade. If you have a grade 30 chain, you're going to go regular shackle. If you have high test chain, you're going to go uh, type 4 B shackle. Easy? What's the difference in price between the stainless steel and the alvinized steel chain? Chain? Uh, well, so it used to be significant, as in like, used to be like 5 sixteenths, 5 sixteenths um, stainless steel chain used to be like 20 bucks a foot. But now it's like $7 a foot, of course, uh, you know, a lot of stuff comes from China, and, th and there's nothing wrong coming from China. We manufacture in China. The question is, you have Apple that's made in China, and then you have other phones that are made in China. And Apple you rely on because these guys watch things and check things, right? And design things. So um, you just want to make sure if you're paying six, seven dollars uh, for the chain, it's something from some reputable entity. And, and they are. So uh, I, I haven't researched prices lately, but you just want to make sure that somebody who owned them. I'm just trying to think if Nagi it makes uh, Chinese chain. So there's nothing wrong with Chinese chain as long as it comes with a reputable name that adheres to standards. I mean, so China makes 90% of the steel in the world. Yeah. When the shackle with the pin, are you are you basing that on the shearing uh, load of the pin? The yeah. Shackle? When the shackle when the shackle fails, I can show you how a shackle fails. But basically, the ears of the of the shackle splay and the right. pin bends. You know. Almost never do you see cracking. Cracking happens like brittle cracking. Right. That have happens only if you have corrosion, like crevice corrosion. So all these metals are pretty mild, and you always see deformation before breaks. So like you know when you see chain plates break, and they they break, they don't bend. It's because of cracks inside. So if you're using steel, like the steel chain, your steel chain will deform long before it cracks. Does that answer your question or not? Yeah, so you want your shackle to be the failure point. Uh, well, your shackle is going to be, uh, you know, to be honest, if you match them in line and you pull them, I'm not sure what's going to fail first and, and uh, whether it's going to depend on when, wh who you I mean, pull against. Is that, is that what you're, you're but it's going to be. If, if anything's going to fail, you want that shackle to fail. No, I want them to be in line. I want the stands to, to be in line. line. I want I want everything to be pretty similar, so where you don't know what's gonna fail. And so what's pro the, it's probably chain that's gonna fail because you're point loading the chain link with the so shackle. You could, you could actually mill out or, or make your own like a beryllium tungsten hybrid mix, something that would carry a load of, of <coughs> 150,000 pounds before a shear point. Yeah, yeah. You could you don't have to mill it out. You could buy it. So so you could buy uh, if you if you're you really fancy you could. You, you could buy titanium shackles, yeah. You could buy all kinds of stuff, yeah. You could okay. buy duplex steel shackles. Uh, so duplex you're, stainless so you're steel. not using, you're, you're not basing that on the shackle as, as a possible failure point. Not like, a, I just not like, a, not like a, an actual uh, structure engineering where you say, you know, this is the weakest link, this is going to be, we designed this to fail, like in automobile engineering. You're saying you, you're wanting this to be set up Great. so yeah, everything is. Oh my God. No, no, I just, yeah. I, I know that we, I think that we need to move some of these questions to the booth. Yeah, yeah. And because okay. you have 15 minutes to thank you, tell thank us you. everything. No, I'll, I'll, I'll perfect, perfect. All right, and then, uh, guys, so Philip brought something here, and I don't know if you saw it, it's like a big box. Can you show them the box? The swill's up there. Sunport. Oh, no, no, we get to that, but you, you have the box in there. I just wanted to, like, tease them a little bit. You, you have a couple of boxes. So, the reason the boxes are there, they're like, Gifts for people who are most interactive. <laughs> Just so you know, in the back of your mind, so you might walk out of something if you if you if you, if you participate a lot. So, um, okay, let's talk about the let's talk about the swivels. First of all, why would you use a swivel? Swivel is used to connect an anchor to chain. If you have mostly a line, do you need a swivel? No, probably not. 
So swivel is used for two reasons. One is to untwist the chain, because if you anchor for a long time, the chain can get twisted. Some people say that's BS, because as you pulling up your chain, if you're pulling up your chain, eventually you're gonna dislodge your anchor. And as soon as you dislodge your anchor, it's gonna rotate out and unwind the chain, right? The arguments for and against. The other reason you might wanna use a swivel is the fact that when you bring the anchor up, sometimes it comes up in the wrong orientation. <laughs> and with a swivel, it's a lot easier to remedy that, right? So those are two uses for the swivel. It got a bad rap because swivels were failing. Now remember, you're using high tech, chain, even grade 30 chain is high test steel. And uh, the swivels is 316 stainless steel, which is pretty mild metal. So it's really hard to size the swivel to the chain. And especially when you go high test chain. And finally, when people put swivels on, you said the Sunker swivels here? Perfect. Uh, people put swivels on, imagine my finger is an anchor. They attach jaws on the anchor. And then if for a side load, if a swivel gets for some reason, you know, the anchor is stuck and, and, and you, you side load it, um, the swivel fails, and that's what happens. That's how these swivels fail, and they got a bad rep because of that. And most cruising experts say you got to put a shackle first, and then a swivel, so the swivel can articulate freely around the anchor and prevent this bending. And the last thing is, it's hard to size the swivel for the chain because most of these swivels are not made to be as strong in line with the chain. The other thing that can happen with the swivel is the swivel can get hung up like this if you don't use a DF shackle. And you can actually pull up an anchor with a swivel in that orientation. And the anchor wouldn't be setting, you wouldn't know why. Good? So do you recommend the shackle on the anchor? Yes, sir. And the swivel goes on the shackle? Those are arrangements are acceptable. Oh, you can see that here, the shackle is put backwards. That's not a good idea. Now you slide on the shackle. What I recommend is, uh, I meant the swivel, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, so what we did is we basically we designed the swivel around the shackle. We made sure that there's a shackle that we designed in place. We didn't want a dog of the shackle, so we put a hex set so the swivel is flush. You can seal safety wire. And to open the swivel, you can put a soccer wrench and open it up. And then the rest of the sales pitch, to, I'll do that to do. Sealing. So if you want to exchange your length of your chain, I'll just brush over the slide. It's okay to do if it's professionally pinned. So these sealings. Um, if you have grade 30 chain, you can match the strength on the chain hypothetically. And Cox Engineering website that can reference to did some testing on that. The problem is you got to pin it correctly, and then when you do pin it, you rub off the organization during the pinning process, so it becomes like a place of rust. So you got to make sure you watch it and uh, you uh, you know paint it and stuff. Make sure it doesn't corrode. Okay, so what do we have now, time-wise? 10 minutes. 10 minutes, okay. So again, 35 foot boat. We said that according to uh, American Boat and Yacht Council, they say in a violent storm with, with including dynamic loads, you're gonna get to 3,600. Guess what loads are if you put a, a proper bridle in the system? 10% less. A third. And these are estimates, but uh, a recent practical sale article in March kind of uh, drew fry, tabulated this stuff. And, uh, and, and, and just, the, the, so there's multiple, multiple publications that show that since ABYC, everybody who tested loads on chain with a snubber never gets even close to this ABYC numbers. And, but if you take the bridle off, you do. So bridle, bridle, really, really, really important. 
and the so basically the question you had was about uh, somebody had about was about how, catnip. How much chain and, and, and whether it's the length of the chain or because you can play uh, you know thickness and, and the length and, and it's just by by experience I know it the longer the chain the actually harder it is to manage in terms of pulling it out. I mean, if you have a these are right. short but thick then you just Phil, so let's go by, go by our booth and we'll, we'll or after the talk and we'll address uh, you know basically the pros and cons of going heavier duty or longer chain. What I wanted to show here is that in really strong winds, look at the shape of the chain. So if you get to 25, 30 knots, your chain is going to be pretty straight. The, the catenary factor of the chain is going to be eliminated. So I, what I want to do is basically make a strong argument that anchoring just a chain is not a good idea. What's wrong with this system? The chain is tight and the snubber isn't <laughs> taking the load. <laughs> Good. The second thing is if you actually tighten up the snubber, you know, that's probably not a long enough snubber for a storm. I mean, if you're in 25 knots, that's fine. But if you're going to be 60 knots, that's not the snubber setup you want to use. Okay? What do you guys think about that? So it's a single snub and it's going through where the anchor goes up in the roller. So. The question is, could it side load the roller? Yeah, so it would be better to do it through chops and the cleats and then look at the length of that number. Is that doing anything? Yeah. So it's going to, yeah, so it's going to stretch 10% of that length. So you're going to get two inches. Is that good for anything? You have a 10 foot swell? No, really. Is that a cable top? I don't know. You know the boat? Okay, uh, this boat? Calm conditions, but no snubber at all. So, the you know what we recommend with snubbers is that we recommend you to be um, we want we want at least three foot of stretch at working load. Meaning, working load of a line is about one sixth to one eighth of the breaking strength, and we want <coughs> we want to operate. A bridle needs to be operating in working load, even in the store, right? And and remember, as you stretch. You know, everything you stretch, like say you stretch a spring, or you stretch, it's, uh, the, the stretch is linear until you get to the breaking stance. So meaning the more stress you apply, the more strain you get. It's a linear curve. What varies between materials is the slope of that curve. And uh, not to make it more technical, the more you stretch the bridle, the more, the more load you apply, the more of a stretch, right? So we just don't want to be, we want stretchable material, and we want to be nowhere near the breaking strength of the material, breaking strength of the material. So what we recommend is about a 30-foot bridle. And it doesn't matter what size boat you have, it really, the length of the bridle really depends on the anchoring depth as a fraction of anchoring depth for your scope, right? So we think a 30-foot bridle is reasonable. If you're preparing for a hurricane, a 60-foot bridle will be reasonable. <coughs> Do you get the same benefits with the uh, you know, chain and, uh, and you know, not all chain rope with the bridle, or it's it only... No, 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 so if you have mostly line in your bridle, if you have polyester line, that's the rest of it, you don't need a bridle. You might need bridle to help you stay to the waist, but you get the stretch from your rope. Just watch the hell out of that line. Yeah. Okay, let the scenario. So you anchor, 10 to 1 scope, you have 100 foot of chain, right? And so the depth is 10 feet. 100 feet is a, is a length of the line. This is your line right here down the middle. The angle is about 50 degrees. Then you anchor on the windward side of the island so the swell comes in and your boat goes up 10 feet. So now you are anchored 5 to 1, right? 
five to one. Now you only get 50% of the holding power of the anchor. And because the length of the chain didn't change and you moved out, now the boat has to move forward because the chain is not elastic, right? So you're forcing the boat backwards, right? So in a very short period of time, you have to move your 3,000 pound boat through a bunch of water, displace a couple of water. So that's where the dynamic loads come from. And this is not breaking waves, this is just swell. So to move suddenly a boat a foot, it's like colliding with a concrete wall, right? A foot in. So it's crazy loads, and that's where 3,600 pounds comes from, ABYC table. And that's why it's so, 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 so important to use a bridle. Yeah, time? Five minutes. This is the situation I just described. So that boat is getting lifted by waves, and each time you need to absorb those waves. This is our bridle. Longevity. If we have time, I'll come back to a single bridle or a single, you know, double bridle or single. Longevity. I just want you to remember that protect your bridle. If you're not using it, put it away. Don't leave it outside tied to your extension. Put it in a storage bag, put it underneath, because UV degrades line. And your running rigging, you can't really protect because it has to be plumbed in, right? Um, and remember, all, most of the running rigging has sheaves on it, right? The core is protected, and you have double braid sheet to protect it. But the bridle is not protected. So protect your bridle, protect your anchor load. And remember, if you're using anchor load and it's exposed, every three, four years, you should think about really changing. Uh, or, or know that you're not good for windy conditions. Attachments of bridle to the chain. There's a bunch of different options. What, you know, what we do is basically, what, what's cool about our hook is the fact that it's, it's not likely to fall off. So there's a lot of hooks out around there. They're all plenty strong. Again, when you, you know, so the painful thing is, imagine you're in a storm, you come up in an anchorage, you're in a storm, and you want to deploy your anchor, and your boat, bow goes up and down, and you're trying to put that hook on. If you don't have constant tension, the hook falls off, and you have to do over, over, over again. Or the wind died, not as emergent, but the wind died, and your hook fell off, and you have to reapply it. You have to let the chain out, put the hook on, tighten the chain up again. Um, so we provide a hook that doesn't fall off, and that is. And then this is about <laughs> planning. So if somebody tells you that, hey, there's going to be an anchorage, it's going to be, it's kind of hard to anchor over there. They thought, well, I have a mantis, so I'm going to be just <laughs> fine. Forget you guys. It's probably not wise. You should probably listen, listen to the. I mean. Nature challenges us all. Nature challenges the best gear out there. So kind of plan above your gear. Planning goes beyond the gear. We're good? We made it kind of? Oh, you're great. You can okay. still answer questions. You okay. Still, Guys. We got three or four more minutes. Can, can you comment on different types of anchors? Uh, yeah. So basically, guys, half the cruising community is out there on Bruce's and CQRs. So, and they've been doing it for a while. So, is it crazy that you go out with CQR and Bruce? No, but you're just gonna have a painful existence, especially with CQR. So, CQRs are very prone to drag on their side and not set. Um, this, is, this is Greg Cutson, the salesman talking, so just take a grain of thought. Uh, so, but um, CQR, really unreliable setting at hard bottoms. Um, Bruce is better. Bruce is actually pretty good setting ability. The problem with the Bruce, it gives you a false sense of security because the Bruce has a lot less surface area than a lot of the other new generation anchors because it's cast in such a way it's kind of inefficient. If you walk by the booth, I'll give you a few anchors to look at and look at the surface area of the Bruce per, give, per given weight. So Bruce's work really well. Yeah. What about the swivel on the anchor shank yeah. and the roll bar? 
So the, you're talking about like CQR swivel, the shank swiveling? Yeah. So the, the, you know, basically delta was the Lumar delta, or Smithson-Lawrence delta that became the Lumar big delta, was an improvement in CQR because they realized that a swiveling arm hurts performance of anchor, makes it less likely to set. So the swiveling of the boat will happen because your shackle will move and your swivel will move, right? So, um, and the anchor does rotate. So if you want to go to our, uh, uh, our video database, there is videos of what, what happens if you rotate the anchor in the sediment, 360 degrees. The anchor is smooth. So the swiveling arm was an interesting idea, but I think wasn't really solving anything and hinders performance of the anchor. Yeah? What's the best anchor for Galveston Bay? Well, it depends because in Galveston Bay, there are different locations. So first of all, if you ask me what's the best anchor, I have a simple answer, right? I think we're the best. But the, I'll tell you, if you're talking about strict efficiency, right? A Fortress anchor, which is a Danforth made in aluminum, is probably the most efficient anchor because if it sets, right? It gives you the best holding per weight because it's lightly constructed, it has a huge surface area. The problem is, big question, if it sets. And when you're comparing anchors, the biggest deciding factor, I, I think, should be the setting ability of the anchor because it's an emergency piece of gear and you need to be able to deploy it and know it will set. Now, if you're using a Fortress as a catching anchor or you have time to set it up, I think Fortress is it, right? The Danforth design is really efficient. Fortress is basically an aluminum, Danforth that's very well, very well made. Easy um, to hold up too. Huh? Would be easy, easy to, to hold up, up right. The problem is a lot of times you get to off the coast of, like here in Galveston Bay, the reason I say it's different is because you go to the tip of San Leon, they have an oyster shell, right? They set your fortress over there. It just, uh, we really, really concentrate on setting ability and then we size you properly to make sure they'll hold you even on a loose bottom. Now should everybody back down? Yeah, everybody should back down. So, I don't know if you guys, anybody know Franklin? Franklin, Franklin, Franklin. So Franklin was a local feature over here. He, he comes back every now and then, he's cruising right now. He, um, I want to give you this anecdote because this guy was know-it-all, and he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, and he oh, definitely present in all the forums, was commenting in all the forums, and he was using bulwog anchor. He trusted his anchor. Remember I told you that you might have the best gear in the world, but listen to what people say around you. And they told him, don't lessen, don't, he went to Mardi Gras and said, don't anchor in front of Teacup when it's windy because it's dangerous. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about the location in front yeah, of GRP. Yep. So he did that one to drink and then uh, didn't back down. The one time he didn't back down on his anchor, uh, his boat ended up on the wall. So the reason you back down is to test, right? You want to test that set, right? So if you don't back down, you don't test. You know that with your engine, you can simulate 20 knots, right? So you want to at least test, make sure you do it for 20 knots. So why not to do it, right? So is it's a menu. Is the material of the anchor pretty much irrelevant, irrelevant as far as, you know, so if you take a, like you said, Fortress is made out of all aluminum. Uh, it matters. They use the, and Mantis, they use the, I'm sure you guys use the same high tensile aluminum, but then there's also companies out there that make stainless steel anchors, so. Right, so we use steel, and the reason steel is better than aluminum is because you can produce a better weight on the nose. Draw by the booth and I'll show you. So the weight on the nose, we're done. Guys, so the copy of the presentation, we'll just continue that conversation over there. And uh, you guys, everybody put the emails down? Cool. So I'll just email a copy of the presentation so you don't have to worry about remembering anything. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me. And it's easy, because mantisanchors.com. On the bottom, there's an email.
That was Dr. Greg Cutson of Mantis Anchors. Like my wife, Jana, he's an MD. We have a Mantis Anchor on our primary bow roller. It's a 45-pound Mantis on our 31-foot island packet sailboat, the slow boat. It is uh, a great anchor uh, for a lot of the reasons that he mentioned. We probably have oversized it as a primary, and I got it as basically a storm anchor, probably for a 31-foot, 35-foot boat. You're looking at the 33-pound range, but for a storm, you probably want the 45-pound range is kind of, I think, the oversizing recommendation. And so if you're going to be cruising in reef-strewn areas, in remote ports where there are limited marina facilities, you really want to have an oversized anchor. And that that's what I have on my boat. And for me, I'm not a very strong guy. I'm a finance professor. I do not have a windlass. So if you run slow boat to the Bahamas, I actually hated my windlass and we tore it out. We had two windlasses that we both removed. If you are worried about pulling up your anchor, that if you have a pawl, which is a very simple device that allows you to rest while pulling up chains. So you just flip the switch, you just flip the pawl, and it allows you to rest. You can uh, handle a lot of chain and a lot of anchoring gear. I think if you're talking about long distance cruising, most long distance cruisers, people that are, you know, full time live aboards and half a year cruisers, they are, you're going to find overwhelmingly that they're going to follow Dr. Kutzen's advice of having almost all chain. Uh, and on, on my boat, a lot of people question how much chain we put on to it. We've, we've got probably a low amount of chain for somebody considering going to the South Pacific. We've got 200 on one side and 100 on the other side, but on each side we have at least 300 but it's conceivable we could pair those up if necessary, depending on the the conditions of an anchorage in the South Pacific. But right now we're in the Atlantic Basin and the anchorages are relatively shallow. So I'll reconsider that as we go on. But uh, I, I like the Manus anchor because it's, number one, it's a third generation anchor. It's got a lot of surface area, but it also setting ability is really the key to it that it's got that weight on its nose it sets really well i've used the fortress anchor i have used the danforth style anchor i was not really happy with the results we had a 22 pound claw we were not super happy with it you know my my opinion is that if you can oversize the anchor a little bit that is uh, a lot of insurance if you're planning on spending a lot of time on the hook or in remote places. I was so impressed by his talk that I, I bought a Mantis Swivel uh, and also their, their chain grabber uh, for the snubber line. And I, I think that was a really great talk. It really talked about all the great gear 
and I you can get all those things in the show notes at our link to the Mantis Anchors website. And I appreciate it if you use the link because it helps them know that they, they found you from uh, our show. So next week, I plan to release... Uh, the first three chapters of Slow Boat to the Bahamas, the audiobook version. The audiobook version is not available, but you can buy it in paperback and Kindle. And after that, I we will have the great guests of Wicked Salty, the YouTube channel. I talked to them for a long time. We'll probably have two episodes from Wicked Salty. Uh, we've already talked I've also talked to Nikki from the White Spot Pirates YouTube channel, and I thank you to everybody who's reached out to me to suggest other great guests. We probably have at least the audio for another 10 episodes. We did 10 before this. This is episode 11. We're going to keep on going strong, and hopefully in the coming weeks we will have uh, also some passage logs for my big trip that will go to Panama via Cuba. So goodbye for now. Have some fun on the water. Check out uh, all the great resources we have and fair winds. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.